When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 159, and we are recording on December 4th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome. Hello. To our show. Indeed. It's the end of the year, and I got nothing. (laughs) I was just going to say, boy, my holiday brain is in full effect. Like, I got, yeah, also nothing. (laughs) No witty, quippy nothings. No things. I have no things. What are you reading? <laughs> I am going to start rereading The Guidebook to Relative Strangers by Camille T. Dungy, which I love and which I picked for our Persist book for this. Well, I, I keep wanting to say this month, but it's actually like halfway through December to halfway through January. So mm-hmm. for the coming weeks, um, yeah, we're doing Guidebook to Relative Strangers and I'm so excited to reread it because I read it, I think, before it came out, which was last year, August of 2017 so like it's been a minute um and yeah I'm I'm jazzed about that because I feel like also this is part of the reason I picked it it will feel very restful for my brain Mm -hmm. because it's like a beautiful contemplative memoir slash slash essay collection about like motherhood and travel and nature and like that will be nice for my brain um what about you um I am about to start the voyage out by Virginia Woolf um I don't know why. <laughs> I was, was just going to say, you're giving yourself Virginia Woolf to read around the holidays. I know. It's a weird... Well, it came up in my rotation of my TBR shelves. My TBR oh. shelves are separated by um, like fiction, nonfiction, classics, and then some, I think, romance and comics. And I am at the classic shelf. Like, it is time to pick pick a classic I guess and I don't mind it I usually like I used to read Dickens around the holidays but um, well sure but that's Dickens right like Dickens is easier than Wolf personally I don't but, know. Y- yes yes because like he's very wordy but all yeah. the words are funny snarky goofiness so right like it's not hard it's just there's a lot of words on the page whereas like yeah. Wolf is much more abstract sometimes or extremely yeah. <laughs> but I don't know I just got a, a fiddly fig tree for my house and I named it Virginia Wolf. So <laughs> I got two. I named the other one Marie Antoinette. Stop it! <laughs> oh my god, I love uh, it. Well, so listen, Amanda I support Wolf- this project. Okay, okay, but here's the real Amanda. You should read Virginia Wolf out loud to your trees. That's what you should do. <laughs> I feel like that's a level of like kitchen witch that I have not reached. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Be or really like fun. do an audio book and you all listen together. <laughs> all of my tree, all of my house plants. Yeah. Gather around. <laughs> Except don't move on your own volition. That's creepy. <laughs> Alrighty. How the show works. Holiday brain. Uh, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can send us your reading recommendation requests for any topic. 
for you, for your book club, or a gift, or, you know, whatever, um, you can email them to us at getbookedabookriot.com or drop them in the show notes, um, oh, no, in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If you, if your question is time sensitive, please uh, put that in big letters in the subject line of the email. If you're using the form, put it in big letters in the first line of your request so we can be sure to get to it on time. We might email you back if we're not going to get to your question on time or if we have already answered it on the show. Uh, we do have a bit of feedback, uh, one from Suzanne who says uh, she has su- uh, additional suggestions for the person who is asking for books about New Mexico, including Bless Me Ultima by Rodolfo Anaya, which she says is a dreamy and wistful coming of age story, and Land of Burning Heat by Judith Van Geisen, which is part of a series but could stand alone about descendants of Jewish families who emigrated to the New World to escape the Spanish Inquisition. Um, Suzanne also suggests for Bess, who was two episodes ago, who wanted a not H-E-A love story, uh, like Water for Chocolate is her suggestion by Laura Esquivel. Um, and we also have one from Camille, uh, also for Bess, uh, and that suggestion is Euphoria by Lily King, which she says is an angsty, beautiful, passionate, tragic love story with bonus of a tropical location. That would be nice for right now, because it is cold. I'm <laughs> upset about it. Okay, moving You're on. You're upset Jen- about the cold? I'm so I glad it's finally flannel weather. No, so I mean, me. like, I, I get into it for about two weeks. Like, I make <laughs> stew, and I burn a fire in my fireplace, and I, like, put bourbon in my hot chocolate, and then I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Let's go back. Let's go back to July. Except it's no. I have four more months of this, which is mm. great. Sorry, anyway, <laughs> it's all right. Question one, and oh, and our first sponsor, Jen, is going to tell us about, and then we will get rolling. All right. So our first question is from Jenny, who says, "I'm looking for a book to put me in a better mood. Um, got some family stuff going on. I'm stumped on what might cheer me up. I'm a pretty dedicated listener to all the Book Riot podcasts. So if you recommended it already, and I thought I'd like it, I've probably already read it. I.e., Queen of the Night or Sorcerer to the Crown. I like a lot of things, but mostly fantasy slash magical realism. Really into the American and French Revolution. I already have little on my TBR. Favorite authors include Neil Gaiman." Alice Hoffman, N.K. Jemison, Kelly Link, and Catherine Valenti. Also like true crime, sci-fi if it's in the vein of Becky Chambers and Douglas Adams. I am obsessed with The Night Circus. I love Buffy and Doctor Who and Game of Thrones. Nothing with sad old people, surprise brain cancer, or quirky beta males. I read YA, not so much romance, but who even knows anymore? (laughs) All right, fair enough. Um... Before we do that, I am going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is our Read Harder Journal, where my book nerd tracking nerds at. (laughs) Uh, It's very exciting. We have designed a reading log that has entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book that you read. And interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by our annual Read Harder initiative, which started in 2015 to encourage folks to pick up fast over books, try out new genres and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. I'm sure a lot of y'all have done this. So you can indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books, get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant, find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press, and so much more. And each challenge in this journal includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and five book recommendations that fulfill the challenge. Truly, it is one-stop shopping. 
Uh, so there's no other reading tracker that champions the activist approach to reading in quite this way. And um, if you like, you know, graphs and spreadsheets like I do, you will. That's built into the journal. Uh, there's also a fill-in to-be-read pile in like a little graphical pile that you can write things on. Um, and it is a flexi-bound journal with two-color illustrations throughout. The illustrations are so good, y'all. I have seen them. They are gorgeous. It's also got an elastic closure and a ribbon marker. It's really, really nice. You should get yourself one or perhaps get one for a friend. So again, that is the Book Riot Read Harder Journal. It is here. Yes. Okay. Um, I will resum up the question and then I'm going to stop talking. So the question was from Jenny who wanted a book to cheer her up. That is maybe fantasy magical realism or perhaps crime or sci-fi and likes a lot of things that we frequently recommend. Me. Your turn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. I picked The Dark Days Club by Alison Goodman. And this is a YA series. I picked it because you you said you love Buffy and Doctor Who and Game of Thrones. And this is essentially Regency Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But it really reads like a Doctor Who episode. It, like when I was reading it, I was reminded of the Doctor Who episode where you meet Clara. Like, you know, the 10th Doctor. I think that's the 10th Doctor. 11? No, it's 11. It's 11. Um, and you meet Clara in Regency... Victorian-ish kind of uh, era. There's monsters. Anyway, it's great. So The Dark Days Club um, is about an 18-year-old woman named Helen who is of the landed gentry. Like, her family is very wealthy. Her parents are dead. She's an orphan, and she lives with her aunt and her uncle. And her parents died a kind of, like, ignominious death. It's suspected that they were spies for Napoleon. Um, and so she's trying to, like, pull her family out from under the shadow of that suspicion. And the book opens on the uh, night of her presentation to the queen, because that's what, I guess, happens when you're a young woman from, a like, a titled family. You get presented to the queen. So uh, it's that, that night. So there's, like, the pressure is on. She's trying to clear her family name. She's got to do a really good job um, in this, like event. And while she's there, she meets Lord Carlston, who is a rogue. A rogue with a very bad reputation, and it's rumored that he murdered his first wife. Um, and while all of this is happening, like all of this chaos in her social life, she comes to realize that there was more to her parents' lives than meets the eye, and she has inherited this ability to see, to identify um, what, they're kind of like demons, but they might be aliens, they're like demon-alien monster things, you know. Um, you find out more about them as the series progresses, um, who are preying on English citizens of all types and citizens across the world. And the Dark Days Club is the British contingent of a worldwide society of people who fight these monsters um, who are harming humanity. And she is like, um, you want me to do what now? Because I'm 18 and a girl, and it's 1812, I don't know if you noticed. So, like, my job is to get married and have very pretty babies and dance. And, like, she's into that. Like, what she wants to do is have a family and be normal and be happy after dealing with all this stuff from her parents and all the drama of their, like, treason and whatever that they may or may not have done. Um, but now she's got this responsibility of defending humanity that she maybe doesn't really want. Um, and so it's very Buffy, Buffy-ish in that way. So that's The Dark Days Club by Allison Goodman. 
One of these days, I'm going to get to that. <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. Um, I also randomly picked a YA for you. It is The Dark Descent of Elizabeth Frankenstein by Kirsten White, who coincidentally is writing the new Buffy novels. Um, there's like a weird thread here that happened. Um, totally by accident. Uh, this book comes with trigger warnings for child abuse. So know that going in. Um, and it is, if you are familiar with the original Mary Shelley Frankenstein, you will remember like quote-unquote cousin elizabeth who lives with the frankensteins and who victor marries and who meets a very sad end in the original and what kirsten white has done has like decided to sort of reclaim elizabeth as a character and give her her own story and her own new ending um and in the process of doing this she has like She's done something really cool. I really loved this book a lot. Uh, Elizabeth's new backstory is that she is an orphan who lives with a caregiver who is abusive and terrible. And the book opens with her like being told that there's a family who might want to adopt her. So like she is like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get out of this terrible situation that I am in. Um, and it's the Frankensteins and they are looking for a like companion for their very difficult and weird child Victor. So she, over the course of like this, like quote unquote, like, I don't know, it's like an interview or something. She gets brought back to meet Victor and she's just like, how do you want me to be? That is how I will be. And so they, and it works and she gets taken home and now she has like a better life and you know, they're nice to her to a certain degree. Um, she's sort of like, she's not a servant, but she's not a member of the family. So she operates in this really sort of tenuous relationship to the rest of the family and her being there. She's, she's convinced for a good reason that the only thing that keeps her there is if Victor continues to want her around. Cause otherwise like there's no reason for them to keep her. There's also this like backstory that's been spun by the caregiver about how she's actually like, you know, the daughter of an Italian Lord or whatever. And is an heiress and like, Oh, it's so weird that there's no paperwork about this, but whatever. So, so she grows up with Victor and she grows up, you know, being whatever she needs to be to fit into this household. And when you pick it up, Victor has disappeared. Um, he's like off in, I think it's London. Yes. And has not written back for a while. And Elizabeth is like, oh my God, like I'm going to get kicked out of this house if he doesn't come back and marry me. So she goes to London with her companion um, to try to figure out like what is happening and bring him home so that her place can continue to be safe. And the story unrolls from there. And if like I said if you're familiar with Frankenstein you're like you'll see some of the plot points get hit but this is a totally new sort of character look at some very traditional characters and I thought it was so great and it also becomes a really beautiful story of female friendships and like not in the like oh we're just best friends and everything's easy like no these are very complicated women with like not potentially like quote unquote likable behaviors that are just doing the best they can in these really straightened circumstances. Um, and it just does this, it manages that so well, this book. Like I really loved how this all played out and the ending is so good. Like I need people to read this so we can talk about the ending. <laughs> um, so again, that is the dark descent of Elizabeth Frankenstein by Kirsten White. All right. Question two is from Stephanie who says, I need a new author. A few of my favorite books include Ocean at the End of the Lane, Museum of Extraordinary Things, and Remarkable Creatures. I like unusual history or science and interesting characters. Nothing too romancy or too magical. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Okay, I picked The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry, who does have, this is not like her first book, so she has other books that you can go out and read if you like it. Uh, and it takes place in Victorian England, and it is very much about, unna- not unnatural, uh, natural history or natural science kind of stuff, uh, which is what they, they didn't have words for like, I'm a biologist, so natural historian was the thing that they referred to themselves as. And the main character's name is Cora. She's a widow who lives in London, and she moves out to Essex to this tiny little parish where a man named Will is the local, um, oh gosh, I never remember their name for, vicar, vicar. He's a local vicar. The, like, term for preacher in the Anglican (laughs) church escapes me all the time. Um, And so Cora is newly single. Her husband was terrible. But now that she doesn't have to deal with him and can basically do whatever she wants, she's decided to pursue her interest in natural history. So um, things, you know, like studying animals and uh, bones. Uh, This is when paleontology was starting to become a thing, studying bones of creatures long since past. Um, Darwin is talked about a lot in the book and his his theories, which were new uh, and interesting and like coming onto the scene and being talked about by the intellectual set quite frequently at this point. Um, And so she befriends Will. Uh, The vicar is as one would imagine, not super into Darwin, and is a little bit confused by this very um, forthright woman with no man who to take care of her who's pursuing these intellectual pursuits. And they seem like very mismatched kind of friend pairing, but they have these really fascinating intellectual discussions. Um, they talk about like the nature of God and love and, and evolution and, you know, a woman's quote unquote place and all of these kinds of things. Uh, and while this is happening, a m- mythical Essex serpent has started to, um, like the rumors that this Essex serpent has come out, out of the river and is stealing children uh, has started to happen amongst the villagers. And so Cora thinks maybe there's something to this. And she starts doing her like scientific investigations of if there is in fact a monster coming up out of the river. And Will thinks that the kind of collective hysteria about this monster has more to do with like the sins of the parishioners and all this kind of thing. Uh, and so they don't agree about anything and their town and their friendship starts to slowly be kind of like pulled apart by um, this Essex Serpent, which may or may not exist. The characters are so good. Like, both of them, I really expected to not like Will. And, you know, there's a lot of things about his character that I find obnoxious and grating. But he, like, so, so like, sweetly and um, earnestly believes in the, like, nonsense that he spouts to Cora. And Cora just, pat, pat, pat. You know, their, their interactions with each other are really fascinating. So that's The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry. I picked Eternal Life by Dara Horn, which is both like history and a little bit of fabulism and some modern day sciencey stuff. Um, so it seemed like it might thread the needle that you are after here. Uh, it is about a woman named uh, Rachel who was born in Roman occupied Jerusalem, like very long ago. And her child, uh, her son became sick and she went to the temple and like made a bargain with God, um, was like, I will do anything for my son to survive. And what that ended up meaning is that she is functionally immortal. She can be killed, but then what happens is that she just comes back, um, at, at the age that she was when she made the bargain and continues to live. So she can die, but she can't die permanently. Um, and so she and the, when the, the the modern day time is like modern day um, and she has had she's also she can still have children. So she's had children over and over and over again 
and then like either left and reinvented herself or was killed for you know being a witch perhaps or mm. whatever depending on the time period um and so she's restarted her life you know many many times over this 2000 years uh, that she's been around and is kind of like you know, thinking that it's about time to restart again. She's got grandkids and she's like, you know, it's kind of weird, like how like, oh, granny doesn't age. And also Mm -hmm. one of her family members is like a scientist and a biologist and is like, oh, I would love to study your genetics because, you know, you have, you have, you're of such good health. You're so, you know, like healthy for your age. Like I, and I'm doing this family thing. And she's just like, oh God, like Mm -hmm. that's, this is bad. Like probably there is something weird and she might figure it out and she's discovered over the years that anybody who knows this ends up dead like she is not sure if it's she doesn't she thinks it's a curse basically so she doesn't want to be found out because then she will become a lab rat but also if she if her granddaughter finds out her granddaughter might die so she's trying really hard to keep it all in the dl but like technology is making this harder and harder it used to be really easy to reinvent yourself every 60 years and now it's much more complicated and so she's kind of dealing with these family issues. Like one of her sons is like getting into Bitcoin and like losing all the family <laughs> money. And you're just like, ugh. But then also she's there. One other person in the world that she knows is also immortal. And it's a man that she had an affair with way back in the day. Um, and he has like made the same bargain and is also and and he like kind of stalks her like she has. It's too painful for her to be around him it's a very push me pull you relationship but he is not willing to let her go so he just resurfaces in her life every hundred years or whatever to see if like now she will come back to him so there's a lot yeah i know know? i did not i did not like him particularly much but you do see you know darahorn does a good job of showing like how if the only other person who understands you and how you came to be is this other person, like, of course you're drawn to them in a certain way, um, but also maybe don't want anything to do with them. So it's a very, you know, interesting look at like, what does it mean to be immortal? What does it mean to have family over and over again as somebody who is immortal? What does it mean to like believe that God has, you know, done this to you and that you chose it? Um, There's so much going on here. So it is a really fascinating book. And it is like a book that I still think about from time to time. Like, I didn't like necessarily some of the characters, even Rachel. Like, sometimes I didn't like her very much, but she was fascinating. And I think Horn does a really good job with the complexities of this, of these characters in these situations. So that's Eternal Life by Dara Horn. Okay, question three is from Becky, who says, I'm a prolific reader of mysteries, cozies, thrillers, true crime, and more, but the genre I want to explore more is graphic novels. I'm currently reading Sheets by Brenna Thumler, and I'm enjoying it a lot. I've read Fun Home, Mouse, Persepolis, and Embroideries. I'm not into superheroes or any manga, and I'm open to some YA, but prefer adult stories. I'd love a response before Christmas if possible, so I know what books to tell my family I want. Amanda, you go. All right, I picked, what did I pick? Uh, Frida Kahlo, An Illustrated Life by Maria Hess, and it is translated by Achio Bejas. Um, And this is a really beautiful graphic novel about Frida Kahlo, but it's told in first person, so it's like from her perspective. Um, And it is, you know, like an autobiography. Um, And the artist, Maria, recreates some of Frida's like most famous paintings, which themselves were autobiographical, in the book in her own style. And it's just like 
gobstoppingly good. Like her her paintings are so good, and she's she's paying such respects to Frida. Um, so there aren't that many. Like Frida wrote a lot herself, wrote a lot of uh, diaries and things like that. And there, I think, is only I think there's just one like comprehensive biography out there about her life. But this is a really good beginning start, starting point. Um, and since you really liked Fun Home and Mouse and Persepolis, I think that a historical uh, kind of yeah, it is historical. A historical graphic novel about a, like a really famous and influential intellectual woman would be a good. Um, place to start and since it is so like illustrated and fancy and pretty it's a little pricey so like it's a good one to pick for someone else to buy you for a holiday and it's in translation it's just it's just lovely um I don't really I'm not going to explain the plot to you because it's Frida Kello's life (laughs) yeah I don't like want to I don't know spoil Frida Kello's life Diego's in it there's some communism there you go uh so that's Frida Kello in Illustrated Life by Maria Hess I just recently read a book for all the books translated by Achio Bejas. What mm. a good translator she is. Yes, yes, yeah. And the book, this really? one, the graphic novel has sold like several thousand copies in the Spanish language audience uh, uh, markets. So, um, yeah, her translation, I think, is really, really excellent. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I also picked a nonfiction kind of memoir comic because of the ones that you listed enjoying. And um, it, it's one I haven't read yet, but it's on my TBR and it was recommended by Chris. Uh, contributor Christine Rowe Um, and I'm going to leave a link to the post that she recommends it in because it's also full of other comics about refugee experiences which might be some good uh, also potential picks for you Um, but it's the best we could do by T. Bui and this is about both her childhood and then her parenting Um, her family fled Vietnam during the 70s um, and, you know, came to America. And it is so this is both about that and how it shaped her parents and her grandparents. And then, like, as a mother, you know, of American children, um, Vietnamese American children, like, what is it like to be a parent now who's dealing with all of the things that your parents dealt with? So you have this new perspective, right, on parenting. Um, and then thinking about what her parents and grandparents went through and why perhaps they are the way they are, because there's a lot of things that they don't want to talk about for obvious reasons. And so she's looking at the effects of war and emigration on families of cross generations. She's looking at what it means to be a parent. She's looking at what it means to be Vietnamese. Um, so there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. I think it will definitely fall in with that sort of Persepolis vibe. And um, the illustrations are just gorgeous. Um, the color palette from what I've seen is just so beautiful. So I think this would be a really good one. It is not, I didn't even think it's a good point, Amanda, like priciness, like, I mean, I think this is your standard graphic novel price, but maybe you could get a couple of things <laughs> from family. So again, that's The Best We Could Do by T. Bui, and I'll have a note, link in the show notes for other comics about refugee experiences. All right. Question four is from Lizzie, who says, I'm writing this email to surprise a friend who read All the Birds Singing by Abby Wilde and is dealing with with withdrawal symptoms. I read the book as well per her recommendation, and I think what she liked about it was the intricate prose, heartbreaking plot, but most of all, the intelligent way the story is woven. She generally loves novels where, uh, with a structure that intertwines past and present. Other favorites of hers are The Goldfinch, A Little Life, When Women Were Birds, and she also really likes Haruki Murakami. 
Uh, can you recommend something to fill the hole in her heart? Okay, I picked Life After Life by Kate Atkinson because if there is a book that intertwines past and present, it's going to be this one. Uh, so this is historical fiction about a woman named Ursula who is born in 1910 and then dies that same moment. And then she is born again and then lives for like a couple years and then dies. And then she's born again, lives a little bit longer and dies. Um, so you are watching her make different choices and have different, you know, circumstances happen to her as she gets older and dies in various ways and then is reborn to start all over again and do it a different way, ultimately leading to her growing up to become an adult to maybe um, get rid of Hitler so we don't have that whole thing to deal with. Um, and while this is happening, like, the older she gets, the more she gets these impressions of deja vu or feelings like, I have done this before, or, like, why do I know that I shouldn't open that door right now? Or, like, why do I know that I should not go down those stairs right now? This is very, very weird and strange. Um, and it sounds like this really kind of far-fetched, maybe speculative fiction kind of time travel book. And it is, you know, like, it is that in a lot of ways. But it's also very literary with a capital L, which, according to, like, this list of things that your friend has liked to read, I think that she will enjoy or appeal to. Um, um, Atkinson's writing is... It's not flowery, but it's not, like, super simple, and the book itself is dealing with a lot of really big, heady themes about destiny and choice um, and history and its effects on our daily lives. So uh, that is Life After Life by Kate Atkinson. So I, too, am a huge fan of All the Birds Singing. That book is amazing. And I went back and forth on this one a couple of times, but I'm going to go with A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing by Emer McBride, which um, <clears throat> comes with trigger warnings for assault, self-harm, and suicide. Um, it Clearly, it is a very dark book. Um, but All the Birds Singing is also, I mean, you mentioned like how heartbreaking it is. And I think the thing that makes me want to put these next to each other on the shelf as well as next to When Women Were Birds or A Little Life um, is that it takes these really dark life moments and then weaves a surprising prose structure around them. And the and A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing is not written in your typical prose. Here it's not so much the structure that's innovative, like with Evie Wilde. Instead, it is the words themselves. The, it's like fragments of thoughts and sort of repetition. And it's not poetry, but it's also not your classic prose style. And I don't read a lot of experimental fiction at all, but I, you know, by like the end of the first chapter, this book had kind of sucked me into the rhythm of the prose and was teaching me how to read it. And it was really an amazing reading experience. Um, it is about a young Irish woman who is has a young uh, a brother um, who like was experienced brain damage as a child and has sort of never recovered, um, and so is not like a functional adult on his own. And her mother is very complicated, and they do not have a great relationship. And she has been made to feel really guilty for ever wanting to leave the family structure. Like she needs to be there to help take care of him. And, you know, why would she leave? And she needs desperately to get out. So, you know, she moves away, but then comes back to visit. And it's this, you know, very complicated relationship with your family of origin. Um, and she has been abused by a family member. And her life is really kind of falling apart. And you see her internal struggles and her, you know, dealing with depression and, you know, all of 
the ways that she's sabotaging herself while all the at the same time just trying to find some space for herself and some freedom from this very difficult and complicated family situation. Um, I just recently was going through some books and I found the galley copy that the publisher sent me and it included a note that was like, read this with like a blanket and a like a strong drink. And I was like, this is correct. Like <laughs> you really need like to feel safe and strong when you start this book and to have like, you know, a, like, you know, if you have pets, like snuggle with your pets or like get a, you know, get a weighted blanket or something that's going to make you feel safe because it is rough. But it's so I thought it was so well done and so worth it. And it's important to talk about how complicated and hard those situations can be to deal with. Um so a really beautiful book, a really hard one, really fascinating prose style. So that's A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing by Emer McBride. All right. We're going to talk about our second sponsor really quickly, which is us. And it mm-hmm. is our nonfiction um, giveaway. So for December, we're running a giveaway for 10 of our favorite works of nonfiction of the year, which were picked by Kim Akora, who is the writer of um, true story, our nonfiction newsletter, uh, and her the it's ten of them, and they include like Educated by Tara Westover, which was huge this year. One Person, No Vote by Carol Anderson, I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, and you'll notice that they're all by women, which Kim did on purpose, and I think it's pretty awesome. So to enter the giveaway, you need to sign up for True Story, our nonfiction newsletter that I just mentioned, which is like nonfiction publishing news, book recommendations, uh, when the books go on sale, like deals for you, things like that. It's a great newsletter. You can go to bookriot.com slash nonfiction giveaway to enter. If you're already signed up for a true story, you can enter again, like say that you're signing up again in the form and we automatically eliminate duplicate uh, signups when we go to um, import them into the, you know, sign up or into our newsletter thing, uh, but you will still be entered. Excuse me. So um, if you're already signed up, you can do it again. So that is, yeah, bookwrite.com slash nonfiction giveaway um, to enter that. All right. Our next question is from Tori, who says, This year for Christmas, I'm trying to buy a book for each family member, but I'm stuck on my father-in-law. Last year, he requested Brene Brown's Rising Strong book, and on his shelf is Strength Finder 2.0. He reads a lot of The Economist and enjoys nonfiction the most, but I'm so stuck on what to get him. Any recommendations? I love this question. Yes. <laughs> There's a father-in-law who reads like Brene Brown and is interested in Strength Finder. Like, I love it. Um, so I picked a book that we did as a staff read earlier this year. It's Bored and Brilliant, How Spacing Out Can Unlock Your Most Productive and Creative Self by Manoush Zamarati. And I picked it because I was thinking about like Rising Strong and Strength Finder and The Economist and nonfiction and how like basically it sounds like he's interested in figuring out how people work. Um, and this book is really interesting on how the brain works and how we can work with the brain to give ourselves more space for creativity and productive thought. Um, and Manoush is uh, the host of um, a WNYC's Note to Self podcast. Um, and she did all kinds of experiments sort of with herself and then with listeners of the show. They ran a survey. They designed an app. Um, and so it's it's all about like how you 
you can use your technology, maybe like look at your phone less, perhaps, um, maybe don't play Candy Crush for six million years <laughs> every week. Um, and but also like, what is your brain doing when it wants to do those things? And how can you like make space for other stuff? So it's super interesting. I did it along with the there are like prompts like you can you can do a thing kind of like with strengths finders like you have to answer questions and think about how you work um and there are bits of that in there and you can download the app and it's really easy to use um but also, even if you don't want to do the things, like even if he's not on his phone playing Candy Crush all the time, I still think it has a lot of interesting stuff about like meditation's effect on the brain and how creative people function best in all of these different situations. So, I, yeah, I really thought it was fascinating. It was an interesting read and it definitely made me think about how I use technology. Uh, so, again, that's Bored and Brilliant, How Spacing Out Can Unlock Your Most Productive and Creative Self by Manoush Zamarati. Okay, I picked When by Daniel H. Pink. The subtitle is The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. This book is such a, such a like, mind... You know what, I'm filling in the blank here. <laughs> Curse word that I can't say because we'll get an explicit rating on iTunes. Um, it is about the science of our, like, bio daily biological rhythms and how those influence your creative thinking abilities and your decision making. And some of the stuff in this book is so frustrating and bizarre. Like um, the one that really stuck with me was that court cases that go before judges in the late afternoon almost always get uh, those those people who are going before judges almost always get harsher sentences because humans are just generally crankier and worse at accepting or worse at critical thinking and worse at decision making at that time period so like if you're going to court just cross your fingers and hope for an early morning um hearing it's like that kind of stuff is so frustrating and there's a lot of examples of that in this book um and there are in the same way of like strength finders and like jen was talking about with board and brilliant there's there are kind of activities you can do in here to find out what your personal like biological clock is like on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, like if you're a morning person, I think he calls them larks and night owls or something like that. Um, or if you do your best critical thinking late at night or in the middle of the day, which is almost no one, but uh, things like that. And how to better structure your work day um, to, to go with the times that you're doing your best thinking about certain things throughout the day. Um, so like if you are doing your best thinking in the morning, that is when you should, you know, you shouldn't be taking conference, call, conference calls. Um, if you do your best think or your best like problem solving in the morning, then that is when you should be taking conference calls and like dealing with staff issues and things like that. So uh, in the um, uh, genre, I guess, of books that make you think about your career or your daily life and the decisions that you make um, and the way that you structure your day and like your workflow kind of books. <laughs> this was really, really interesting. And I think that, you know, it kind of, it didn't really, it wasn't new information. I don't think it just confirmed a lot of what I thought about myself that I thought was just like quirky or foibles, but it is interesting to see that it's actually just everyone. Like everyone has these kinds of patterns and does their best thinking at specific times. So that's when the scientific, scientific secrets of perfect timing by Daniel H. Pink. Did you like rearrange your work day at all after finishing that? Um, I did. I moved all of my like staff one-on-ones to one day in the afternoon um, mm. because in the mornings I need to be like head down doing projects and data analysis and things like that. So um, mm. the, the talky bits I do in the afternoon now. So. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'll have to read that. Yeah, it's really fascinating. All right. Question six um, is from Tired of the Tropes, which is a great 
call sign, thank you. Um, she says, one of the last books I need for this year's Read Harder Challenge is a romance by a person of color. My trouble is that I am so, so tired of many common romance tropes. I understand why they're popular, but I'm just burned out on them. This includes love triangles, mysterious and or brooding men, and characters who hate each other but then fall in love. I'd really love one where the leads are just two competent people living their lives and facing down the plot, and the relationship starts as friends or colleagues before it becomes romantic. I also prefer sci-fi and fantasy, which really narrows the field. Okay, Jen, what you got? Yeah, this is a narrow field. Yes. <laughs> the, the narrowest field. Um, but I feel good about my pick for you. It is the Call of Crows series by Shelley Lawrenston. And it is a paranormal uh, series. They are, what she has done in these three books is to sort of take Norse mythology and like diversify the hell out of it. Um and her heroines are all women who have died violently um, and been offered a chance to return by this Norse goddess who, like, gives you wings and claws and powers um, in exchange for you being sort of her agent here on Earth, which includes, like, the gods are always, like, losing their special talismans. So you like, gotta go find it or, like, hunting, like, fighting off the villainous other things or just getting in, like, beer brawls with, you know, the sons of Thor or whatever. So <laughs> it's very entertaining. It's really funny. And I will say that none of these men are, like, oh, how do I want to put this, like, cheerful outgoing quirky types like they but they're not brooding and mysterious either they just mo like a couple of them just like don't know how to make words like they're just like kind of not dumb but just like not talkers um but they are not like dark conflicted souls like in the way that i think you mean by brooders like they don't have like you know deep dark rooted secrety feelings like they're just they're just a little bit quiet um and I was particularly thinking of the second book, The Undoing, which is about a woman named Jace Barisha who was killed by her husband, who was like the leader of a cult. Um, and she has like she's like really sort of introverted and bookish and all of her sister crows understand this about her and sort of leave her be as she wants. Like they're used to her like hiding in closets with her dog to get alone time. Like that's fine with them. Um, and one day she ends up getting a translation job with another Viking clan, the protectors. Um, they have to translate this thing. Cause I can't remember why it's been a minute since I read the book, but it's very important that this thing get translated and Jace can translate it. So she starts working with them. And one of the protectors whose name, is Ski Erickson because of course it is hmm. um, uh -huh. and he's sort of like the wrangler in the clan like he's the one who's actually a functional human adult um, and he is very intrigued by Jace and sort of is like uh, trying to figure her out like he, she's a little bit of a mystery to him in terms of her behavior and he's just like who is this woman um, and she's not exactly forthcoming so he has to like kind of work to figure her out um, and then there's also like a, a goddess who's gonna like come back and end the world or whatever and Jace is a dog that's a really great character um, and uh, I just really this one is one of my favorites of the series I loved them all but Jace is such a great heroine because she is dealing with like so much like past trauma but is also just so upfront about who she is like she's not about to change her behavior for anybody she just needs other people to understand where she's coming from and I really loved how the characters around her treat that um, and these books also have an amazing sort of like 
women like taking care of each other even when they don't necessarily like each other vibe to them which i super appreciate and then there's all of the like romancy stuff you know sex scenes and love stuff and all of that good stuff so i think you'll dig it um again that's the call of crows series by shelly lorenston and the second book that i was calling out in particular is the undoing Okay, um, I took this one to the contributors because it was such a narrow field. And I'm sorry, I didn't write down who recommended this to me, but the recommendation recommendation is Toxic by Lydia Kang. Um, and this is a YA science fiction novel um, about Cyclo, which is a biological ship that is dying. And the main character's name is Hannah, um, and she has never, she's been grown up, been grown up, she's been raised in a single room for 17 years. And her mother comes and like, feeds her and takes care of her but she's not allowed to talk to the other people on the ship and then one day she wakes up and realizes like it's been several days since her mother has come to see her um and she doesn't know what to do so she asks the ship and the ship tells her that her mother and the rest of the crew and everyone who lived on it has left the ship because the ship is dying and then a mercenary a small crew of mercenaries land on the ship um because they have been given the task of documenting the ship's last days and why it's dying. And they all know that this is a one-way ticket. Like, once they are on the ship, they cannot leave. Um, and they're going to die. And their de- the money, like, the benefits that they make from their, their death benefits are going to go to their family. So Fennec is a boy who is, he's, I think he's also about 17, who's a, a member of this crew. And he knows that he's come to die. But none of, no one on the crew expected to, like, find a person alive on the ship. And so Fennec and um, Hannah develop a romance and the book is about you know their relationship as it moves forward um but it's very like they don't have time to do the whole i hate you i love you thing because you know everyone is about to die like imminently extremely soon everyone is about to die um and they don't they have to throw out the rule book and um you know everything that they were going to do to document the death of this biological ship because they found a person on it and like Somebody help us, you know? And so it's just very fast-paced adventure. Um, BT dubs, I have lots of feelings for you. Please put your face on my face. So that's what's happening here. It's science fiction, uh, science fiction romance with lots and lots of action. So that is Toxic by Lydia Kang. All right. Our last question is from Caitlin, who is looking for a Christmas present recommendation. My brother just rediscovered reading and has been flying through a bunch of political nonfiction, scary times. He just visited the Imperial War Rooms and Bunker in London and loved everything about the museum, so I want to get him a book on Churchill. There are so many biographies on Churchill that I didn't really know where to start, but I've heard Amanda talk about a few before, (laughs) so I thought you might have some ideas. Uh, Thank you so much for your help, and from a former bookseller who knows how hard it is to find the books Peter looking for. Oh, right. That's a compliment. I didn't mean to read that. Um, okay. Well, obviously, I have nothing to say about this, but Amanda is our Churchill expert. So go forth, Amanda. Okay. I have two book suggestions for you. The first is Winston's War, Churchill 1940 to 1945 by Max Hastings. Um, this is a relatively new-ish release that came out, I think, in like 2010, but um, still new-ish in the you know grand scheme of biographies of Winston Churchill. I like this one particularly because it only focuses on the five years of the war for the 40 to 45 or five years when he, you know, becomes prime minister and all that. Um, And so you're not getting like his privileged upbringing and his days as the secretary of blah, 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 before he became prime minister. Like you are in media race. You are dumped into um, him taking over command of the British government. War is happening. What does he do? Uh, And then you follow him as he makes all of the, you know, various choices that he made to keep the British people together and their morale up, um, dealing with the Soviets, dealing with the Americans, trying not to, you know, have his island be invaded. 
uh, all the way up to 1945. Um, and then after that, a little bit, when he comes through the war um, and his popularity starts to wane. So it's very focused, and it sounds like your brother's really into that particular period, uh, the war period. So I think that narrow lens of this book would be good for him. It is very... Um, fawning, you know, uh, but you're going to be hard pressed to find a biography of Winston Churchill that isn't fawning <laughs> or isn't, you know, not necessarily as critical as a modern reader maybe thinks that it should be, which I do think they should all be a little more critical of him, but he's also a problematic fave. So it, it, you can, you know, read past it. Um, the second one I picked is not actually about Churchill, but it is about World War II. It's Stalingrad. Uh, by Antony Beaver, which is kind of a classic of World War II writing. And the reason why I picked this is because if you are getting into, um, you know, reading about Churchill's life and reading about World War II, it's really easy to fall under this um, impression that Churchill won the war, you know, uh, against the Nazis. And that Churchill, and perhaps with the help of the, the last minute help of the Americans, defeated Hitler. But in reality, Stalin defeated Hitler. Uh, so, and like we just kind of came along and mopped up the mess. So I think for perspective, this book about Stalingrad and Hitler's um, approach in 1942 to Stalingrad and what happened after that, which was, you know, this giant siege where millions of people died, or over a million people died, both in this city, um, in Stalingrad itself, civilians and members of the armed forces on both sides. Um, and the, how the civilians survived or didn't mostly, but how the ones that did survive did survive and fought against the invading army um, and how this was one of those battles that really kind of spelled the end for Hitler, even though the war would last for a few more years, uh, but it was a real turning point. Um, so for balance, like I love Churchill so much, such a problematic fave. I love him so much. Um, but if you're going to really become interested in that period of time, that particular episode of history, you really need, I think, to um, have a little bit of uh, a little bit of, of less hero worship than you're going to get from all the published biographies about him that are out there right now. So I think that would help. So um, Winston's War by Max Hastings and Stalingrad by Anthony Beaver. And that's our show. Hey. hey Thank you so much for listening. Um, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. They were all us. So, you know, dust your shoulders off. Uh, you can find us on <laughs> social media. <laughs> I am on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am on Twitter and, well, still Tumblr for the moment, but we'll see about that. <laughs> what a As garbage As Jen IRL, Jen with two N's IRL. And we will talk to y'all next week.